Hello and welcome to this very first episode of Boredom Matters, the ISBS podcast with me, Annie Wankel. This podcast is all about boredom and boredom research. So if you are interested in boredom, if you ever wondered why you get bored sometimes, why boredom feels so horrible, or what boredom could possibly be good for, you're in the right place. And I'm very excited and happy to welcome you to this new podcast series. So you probably wonder, what does ISBS stand for? Well, it stands for International Society of Boredom Studies, which is an academic society um, with members all around the globe. And um, I'm very pleased that I actually have the president of ISBS with me today to actually talk a little bit about the society. So I think that will probably be a good start to our podcast today. So um, here she is, Josefa Ros Velasquez from the University of Madrid, and she's going to tell us a little bit more about the Society of Boredom Studies. Yeah, thank you there, Annie, uh, for your words and overall for all the efforts you are putting to, to carry out this project of a podcast series as, as part of the International Society of Boredom Studies activities. Well, I should say now uh, some words about the ISBS to just to encourage people to, to join us and to take part in, in this project. The International Society of Boredom Studies is a non-profit organization we set up uh, just to promote and disseminate multidisciplinary research on, on this topic, on boredom. We all are scholars working on boredom from different perspectives, and we all together uh, are establishing a network of experts on boredom studies to give visibility to this field of work and of course, to move forward boredom studies themselves. To do so, we are creating spaces to dialogue, to collaborate, to show each other what we are doing, what we want to do, to find partners worldwide in our careers, to pursue a space uh, with researching groups in other countries. So we are more than 50 people right now, and together, we already held the four international interdisciplinary boredom conference the last summer, uh, one which will be, uh, by the way, celebrated biannually. And we are also collecting papers in a database, lectures in our YouTube channel. We are about to launch the first international journal of boredom studies. And uh, finally, we will have our newsletter circulating really, really soon. And now you know, uh, we have also this new section of podcasts, which is truly fantastic. I think we are growing really, really fast. This is perhaps because boredom has now become the topic of a, a multidisciplinary conversation. Psychologists study its cognitive effects and its physiological manifestations. Philosophers and historians uh, ask themselves about its nature. Sociologists seek to understand its social causes and consequences. Learning experts investigate boredom's outcomes on, on learning and its role in different learning environments. And of course, uh, the public tries to come to terms with an experience that appears to be really trivial, but it's in fact serious at the same time. 
So in this sense, the society aims to serve as a home and as an information hub for anybody, anyone who is interested in boredom. Membership is totally free. This is important. So I encourage all those who think of boredom to join us now. You're welcome independently of your area of, ex of expertise, your age, your gender, your institutional affiliation, and the level of commitment depends always on your, on your own decisions. So in the ISBS, there is a space for everybody in whatever situation. Come on, join us, and please, <laughs> this is also important. Don't confuse us with the boredom society, which is a completely different kind of association. Great. Thanks, Josefa. I think that gave our listeners a pretty good idea what ISBS is all about. I hope it'll inspire some people to find out more about the society. Obviously, we have a website, which is just boredomsociety.com. That's probably the best place to start. And it's also where you can learn more about the boredom conferences. On the website, you can also find links to all the recordings from our most recent conference in June last year. I definitely recommend having a look at it. There's some fantastic talks about a wide range of topics. You can also hear me rambling on about boredom and creativity. So highly recommended, not just for boredom geeks like us. Yeah, so um, for this very first episode, I thought it would be useful for our listeners to maybe find out a little bit more about boredom sort of on a very basic level. So I thought I would actually pose one single question to a number of people from all across different disciplines. And that question is, if there was one fact you would like people to know about boredom, what would it be? And I was lucky to uh, be able to uh, gather a whole group of um, academics and researchers who have been uh, willing enough to talk about their research on this podcast and um, very pleased that they agreed to answer this very particular question. So uh, we've actually got uh, someone from um, psychology uh, who's going to answer the question as well as someone from philosophy, from sociology and someone who uh, works in the area of architecture and design. So I'm very excited to have this whole variety of, um, of people who's going, who are going to answer this very specific question. So I'm going to start with Eric Igu, who is at the University of Limerick in Ireland. I'm very pleased that we managed to um, get him onto the podcast. Um, we actually did this recording on quite a, a stormy uh, day uh, with quite a bad um, gale kind of battering not just uh, Ireland but also the coast of uh of Scotland, where I am based. I'm very pleased uh, that it worked out and the internet didn't let us down. So um, do you want to sort of introduce yourself, Eric? Yeah, thank you. So where I come from is um, I'm, I was socialized in Germany. I studied in Heidelberg and um, then I went to New York uh, on a postdoc and uh, got a post in, at Tilburg University in the Netherlands, where I met Beinand van Tilburg. And, um, and then we went to Ireland together to the University of Limerick, where Beinert got his PhD. And, uh, and then he moved on to Southampton and to King's College, and now he's in Essex. Now, why do I mention Beinert? Because he is my main collaborator in boredom research, and, um, and he plays a very important role here. Okay, that's great. Um, yeah. 
Would you like to give us your insights about boredom and what you think is sort of one fact that you would like to share or can you easily answer the question about you know like that one little gem of knowledge yeah um so i would say that boredom is a challenge to people because it is a denial of the needs that they have to um, live a meaningful life Right. So um, the current situation can be seen as boring and by that meaningless, but it cannot be generalized to life, of course. Right. Um, that is not only unpleasant uh, at an affective level, but there are a lot of cognitive elements in this. Namely, it communicates to us that we're living a life that we shouldn't be living. And so what do people do then? Well, they, it's a conflict that they try to solve. And I believe that boredom is you know, almost ideal experience to demonstrate um, the various ways that people can respond to an existential conflict using self-regulatory strategies. Because it's not a, just one way. People are quite flexible in responding to boredom. So for example, they can approach certain situations, they can avoid certain situations, right? So let me get into the approach one. As it is a threat to our meaning, what people try to do is they try to compensate for it. Um, they do that by searching for sources of meaning. And in line with that, we could show that when people are bored, social identity increases because this is a source of meaning, right? You cluster the world in groups. And I am part of this great group, and there are these other ones out there, and they're not as great as I am, right? Um, nostalgia is another source. And um, helping others, pro-social behavior is also. So that, these are examples for an approach, right? But then there's also avoidance. Avoidance strategies can also be used by people who are bored. You know, perhaps when sources of meaning are not readily available, so what do people do? Well, they might choose to withdraw from the existential conflict by focusing on sex, drugs or rock and roll, perhaps. Um, but what we found is unhealthy eating, for example, can be used as a strategy. You know, these um, um, exciting unhealthy foods have the ability to um, you know, fill us with joy and uh, it reduces this focus on this existential conflict, right? We've also looked into how people are kind of desperate and trying to get out of this uh, conflict by um, demonstrating that impulsivity increases and risk-taking does too. So that, that wouldn't be an approach towards uh, sources of meaning. This, uh, these are more uh, strategies that uh, enable people to withdraw from the existential conflict. Right? So these are two fundamental strategies, approach and, and, and avoidance. What we've done lately to just validate this um, meaning regulation approach is that we presented people with sources of meaning, right? So for example, um, self-compassion or gratitude, the, these are experiences and, and uh, orientations that 
give us meaning in life. And as meaning in life is closely related to, to boredom in a negative way, uh, we could find that these experiences and orientations reduce boredom. You know? and, and especially these later studies are useful um, for um, you know, practice because um, what these studies promise is that by increasing experiences such as self-compassion, gratitude, or, or other experiences that communicate to us that life is meaningful, that they, that they reduce boredom. Mm. That's so interesting. I think boredom is so often simply dismissed as trivial. Your research really shows that powerful connection between boredom and um, some really big questions like purpose and meaning in life. Thank you so much for sharing that, Eric. I think this gives us quite a smooth transition to my next guest, who is actually a philosopher. Uh, Andreas Elpiduro is based at the University of Louisville in the US, and I'm very pleased that he could join us. Andreas, um, before we get down to business, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Um, first of all, thank you so much for um, having me and everybody else on the podcast, Annie. Um, I don't have the coolest origin story. Uh, I was, I've been working on boredom for a while now, which is, it's, it's strange saying it out loud, it, you know, time flies, but it's been more than a decade thinking about boredom. Um, and initially, uh, I am trained as a philosopher and one of the kind of philosophical questions that always capture my attention um, was the our relationship to the passage of time. So how I began getting interested in the phenomenon of boredom was this realization that boredom is this weird experience that when you are bored, time changes, or at least the perception of how time passes changes. And I was fascinated by that aspect of boredom. Um, and then what kind of, what was a catalyst in addition to that kind of interest was the fact when I started looking at the history of boredom, the most accounts of boredom have been pretty negative. Um, at least historical philosophical accounts were always conceiving of boredom as more or less a toxic state, sometimes as a sin. Um, but if it wasn't put in a religious context, it was something that you wanted to avoid. And I, I, you know, I became very curious about that just to explore whether that's indeed the case. And I'm, I've gone through phases, and I think my first phase was a really kind of naive optimism about boredom that is great, and like we can do a bunch of things about it. And now I've come not quite full circle, but and yeah, I've realized that there's much more to say to that. But that's how I began um, my journey into boredom studies. Nice. You have published quite a lot on the topic of boredom, haven't you? You've had a whole book about boredom out fairly recently, if I remember correctly. Um, yeah, um, 2020. Um, and it's, it's part, part of it is, is on boredom. It's not entirely on boredom, but it's the idea is, um, and this is, again, this, this goes back to what I described as my uh, optimism, perhaps naive, perhaps not, um, that I think there is something good about boredom. Uh, but it has to be seen in the correct light under under the right conditions. And and boredom, I consider boredom to be a part of states that are unpleasant, experientially unpleasant. However, they can be important for the pursuit of the good life. And so the book is an exploration of what to do with those negative states and emotions that are 
unavoidable in our lives, but I also think that they're quite useful. Um, and so that's just trying to think through those kind of thorny issues and how to navigate life in the midst of all those negative emotions and sensations and bad thoughts and, and all that. Okay, that's really good. So um, for anyone who's curious, the book is called Propelled, How Boredom, Frustration and Anticipation Lead Us to a Good Life. Um, and I'm pleased to say it's actually quite affordable. So um, do check it out if you want to. <laughs> anyway, so if I put the question to you, Andreas, do you have a simple answer? What is the one thing you would like people to know about boredom? Yeah, I, I think I can. Well, on one reading, the answer is pretty simple. I, I would like to tell them that boredom is really complex. Um, so I think that's, I can do that. I can say that it becomes more difficult to try to explain to people what the complexity is. And so I've, I've encountered that complexity personally, both as, you know, as someone who experiences boredom, not quite as often now, but I've, I remember in my past life that I was bored for a long time. And um, I've gone through frequent experience of boredom and prolonged experience of boredom. And in always boredom was very complicated. The emotion itself or the affective state was just so, you know, there is that agitated level at it, at it or experience, or I don't know what to do quite with it, but also low energy and thoughts and desires. And so I struggle with that in myself. But the more I study about boredom, the more I realize that I don't quite get it, um, which is, it's a funny thing to say after all these years, but I think it's quite true. And, and, and so why I'm excited about the society partly is the fact that um, I've realized that, you know, a philosophical perspective of boredom takes me so far given my discipline, but then getting in touch with scholars from other perspectives, I keep learning things about boredom that I would not have encountered. And that just um, enriches my experience and understanding of boredom. And so I, yeah, after the conference, for example, um, that was organized in the summer, I came out of the conference realizing, whoa, there's so much more that I don't know about boredom. Um, and so that kind of complexity, not just the experiential, but kind of the richness of the phenomenon as a um, as the subject of um, philosophical, scientific, sociological, historical study, that just that just fascinates me. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think we can all agree to that. Thanks so much, Andreas, for sharing your thoughts. Okay, so. I think we have to move on to our next guests. Maria Schwinkelstein is based at Collegium Civitas in Poland. He is a sociologist, and he's actually the person who first got the ball rolling when he set up the International Interdisciplinary Boredom Conferences quite a number of years ago now. So I'm really glad that he uh, could join us in this very first podcast today. So Mariusz, um, You've probably been involved in boredom research for quite a while now, haven't you? Uh, yeah, it's been uh, 10, 10 years uh, now. Uh, and this is a long, long story. And my story is uh, different than Andreas's uh, because I was an MA student uh, when I started because I was so agonizing bored <laughs> during my classes at the MA studies. Uh, for a variety of reasons, yeah. Then I start asking questions here yeah, about this boredom. Uh, I start to talk about boredom with other people as a kind of uh, data collecting process, yeah. 
I uh, deal with uh, these uh, a lot of negative emotions and uh, that boredom is a kind of taboo. Uh, sometimes even a kind of ridicule. Uh, this is ridiculous for many people that uh, I research boredom. <laughs> yeah, so I felt alone uh, at my university, at the, the time University of Warsaw. Um, so I started this conference in Warsaw in 2015. Yeah, just to not to be alone in this kind of research. Brilliant. Um, so I guess your research also directly led to your new book that also came out uh, very recently, right? Because is it uh, about boredom and academic research, if I remember correctly? Yeah, and uh, it is already published uh, in, in uh, August, I suppose it, okay. it was published in August. Boredom and academic work, this is my uh a shortened version of my PhD thesis. Uh, yeah, so it, it was highly uh, controversial at my university at that time. Yeah, because uh, they felt that I accused uh, academic teachers to be boring. But during my project, it starts to be more about uh, work, not about teaching itself. Uh, so maybe it was more acceptable <laughs> at the end. It's actually quite interesting because from my perspective, uh, I also came across that kind of um, reluctance or uh, maybe prejudice against somebody wants to do something about boredom. So I, I kind of uh, experienced that in the context of uh, art institutions that felt that um, they wouldn't want anything to do with um, anything that has the name boredom in it, just because uh, it kind of uh, casts maybe a, um, a, a nasty um, yeah. reputation on them. Is, is a god uh, in nowadays culture. Yeah. Yes, Everything should be adventurous, uh, interesting, thrilling. Yeah, and, and boring is uh, uh, counter to this uh, discourse. Mm. Yes. So if I ask you the same question, um, one particular uh, little piece um, of information or um, uh, fact about boredom that you feel like that's something you want people to know about it, um, what would it be? Or is that an easy thing to answer for you? <laughs> yeah, I was wondering uh, how to answer this question. There are so many thoughts in my head. So the, there is a popular saying that I would combat uh, that intelligent man never gets bored. This is uh, a platitude that I uh, heard uh, all the time. And this is not true. So uh, what I want to say that uh, we cannot understand boredom as uh, merely idleness. Yeah, because this is the, the way of thinking uh, with this uh, saying. Yeah, boredom is idleness. Uh, uh, intelligent people have their brains, they are smart, so they never... Uh, have this situation in their life that they are idle. Yeah, but this is uh, this is not true. That uh, uh, researchers says that uh, this is the opposite. Yeah, that the, the more uh, the, the the more you're smart uh, is uh, the more uh, the higher level of your boredom. There, there are several reasons here, but maybe uh, two are the most important. If you are a, a working uh, uh, man at the factory, it will be easier to manage. And to survive this kind of work, if you don't have this uh, high intellectual potential and, and so on, so on. And if you are, you are, you are uh, miserable yeah, with this kind of boring, repetitive job. And on the second level, if you are intelligent, uh, so you go with uh, self-reflection uh, and you have thoughts about life, about the uh, meaning of everything. And maybe you figure out then that many things 
are bereft of meaning and the ultimately your life is meaningless in in very particular sense yeah that this meaning should be constructed this is a, a whole uh, process and this is not so so easy so if you are intelligent you see more uh, more threats to meaning if you are not intelligent you don't think about you just do this do this go with your life one way or another without self-reflection on the much higher level uh, in in a way uh, this protects you from uh, experiencing and feeling especially feeling boredom maybe you experience some boredom but the, the, you don't feel it so eagerlessly so uh, and so you are less miserable with, with your boredom if you are not intelligent yeah so this is this is the this popular assumption that uh, I frequently heard and I want to combat yeah I think that connects very nicely with what Eric was saying earlier too, as well that connection between boredom and meaning is so powerful. Thank you so much, Marius. So um, my final guest um, on this podcast today is Christian Perenio, who is at Universitat San Francisco de Quinto, which is in Ecuador. Very pleased to have him here with us. Um, I really like the fact that we're sort of um, really spanning the entire globe with this podcast. It's brilliant. Um, yeah, Christian, maybe you can tell our listeners a little bit about what kind of research you do and how you ended up uh, researching uh, boredom. I research boredom in terms of architecture and the experience of architecture, what can also be called a spatial experience. Um, how I came up with researching boredom is sort of a long story, uh, but I'll try to make it concise. I was working in London as an architect, designing big buildings. And I remember one day um, my supervisor came to me and he told me that he wanted me to embark on a bigger project. And that would entail taking care of all the details, the technical details of a facade for the next two years. And instead of being happy, I was utterly disappointed. And I, I didn't know why, but I remember that afternoon, I went to the library of the Architectural Association in London. And just by pure coincidence, I ran into uh, a philosophy of boredom by Lars Benson. And it was kind of like an enlightening moment because I realized that my feeling was boredom. You know? So in that moment, I thought, this is it. This is what I want to do. I don't want to do two more years of technical drawing, but I want to understand this condition uh, in a philosophical manner and seeing through architecture. So it caught my attention, you know, quite, quite early in my studies that the term boredom in English was coined in the 19th century. Yeah, so it's, so it's a very young word on the one hand, but on the other hand, the etymology of boredom relates to the action of, of, of making uh, a void, creating a void. And that is a special condition, it's an architectural condition. So the way that the term emerged, it was related 
to the way in which the feeling on this or the sentiment was sort of um, experienced in terms of uh, space, dimension, uh, even measures and, and, and the quality of the space. And from then on, the studies continue. Brilliant. <laughs> That's really interesting. I think your perspective um, is really quite different from uh, what the other people um, so far have kind of been talking about. So that idea of the void or, you know, there's sort of being a space um, that is, or and not space maybe, um, uh, that is kind of connected to boredom. Um, I find that really interesting and completely different um, approach, I would say, to what we've kind of heard so far in the podcast. So that's really great. Um, so if you, uh, if somebody asked you if you had one particular sort of fact about boredom that you would, would share with someone if they asked you, would you be able to pick something in particular out or um, is that sort of a very difficult question and you wouldn't be able to sort of pinpoint one particular fact or um, aspect of boredom? Um, it's very difficult to pinpoint just one. I think that there are uh, many. Uh, but perhaps I could summarize them in, in three points. Um, point number one, the relation to the environment. You know, understand boredom as a sort of crisis of how we relate to what is happening around us. And that could be understood as, as architecture. Architecture not just as a building or not just as the physical object, but also architecture in terms of how we relate to this environment. Kind of like a point in between. You know, it's not you, it's not building, but it's kind of this sort of conversation that you begin to establish. In a way, um, it's a little bit uh, like, like Heidegger uh, points out. He says boredom is a hybrid. It is partly objective and partly subjective. So that would be one aspect of boredom. Second aspect of boredom is the history of boredom. And uh, boredom changes and it's a cultural condition, depends on society, depends on economies, depends on technologies. And I think that that is an aspect that is very little studied yet. And the final point that I would like to make is that boredom is very ambiguous. It's positive, but it's also negative. It's both things at the same time. And it can also derive from, from lack of something and, and therefore is related to, to the void, to monotony. Um, but I think it also can derive from, from the opposite, from too much from having too much information, from having, I think it's Teresa Belton who says, uh, too much junk around us. And therefore, it can also become the sort of point of entry into the unnoticed and also into creativity. Boredom can derive into destruction, but boredom can also derive into creation. And again, it goes back to this relationship between the individual and the environment. So how our environment in a way sort of kind of disposes us into perhaps a good boredom or a bad boredom. Mm, that's, that's so interesting. Thank you so much for sharing that with us.
Christian. So I guess this is actually a beautiful conclusion to our podcast today. Thanks again to all of my guests. It's been an absolute pleasure. And of course, also thank you to you, my listeners. I hope this very first episode gave you a little glimpse into the vast universe of boredom studies and you learned maybe something new about this particular experience and why boredom matters. I think this half hour journey into boredom has really revealed some quite interesting things about boredom. As my guests pointed out, it's complicated. It's neither good nor bad. It tells us something about ourselves as much as it sheds light on our relationship with our environment. It defies the easy assumptions many people have about it. And even though boredom seems to be such a trivial everyday thing, it connects with some quite profound topics such as the meaning of life. So I really hope you'll consider joining me for the next episode. If you want to make sure you don't miss the next episode, maybe pop over to the International Society of Boredom Studies website, which is just boredomsociety.com. Or you can also follow us on Twitter, which is uh, at Boredom Society in one word. Quite easy to find, I think. Thank you very much to once again to all of my guests and um, speak to you soon. Don't get bored. Or maybe do. <laughs> <laughs>